0: Matt Hawkins went to a comic book store signing with his nephew and his life was changed forever. With a degree in physics from UCLA, an unsatisfying job at a bank, and no resume to speak of, Matt approached Rob Liefeld and asked him for a job. Impressed with Matt's moxie, Rob hired him on the spot. That initial job, answering fan mail, led to more and more editorial responsibility and ultimately launched a partnership with renowned artist Mark Silvestri at Top Cow where he currently holds the position of president and COO. Matt puts his physics degree to use writing tech-based series Think Tank and is now working with Silvestri on the relaunch of Cyberforce. We talk to Matt about breaking into the comic book industry as a writer, using science and technology in stories, and the current Top Cow talent hunt on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're speaking with comic book writer, producer, sci-fi aficionado, and the president and COO of Top Cow Productions, Matt Hawkins. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Matt.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, Now, you're the president and COO of Top Cow, but you're also a writer, so I think you have an interesting perspective that I'd love to tap into. Um, Your new series, Think Tank, uh, which came out last month. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is about a slacker genius recruited by the U.S. government to design weapons like a predator drone. Uh, But he wants to quit. And that's sort of where all his problems start and where the story starts. Um, Now, there's a lot of technical and scientific stuff, uh, military stuff in Think Tank. Um, I know you're sort of a science junkie yourself. How important uh, is it for you to sort of get that science and technical stuff? Uh, right in a series like think Tank, and I mean how much research do you have to do to make sure it 's sort of plausible and realistic, or is it something you just you can just wing
1: no I, on, on think tank specifically I, I agonize over the, uh, the believability and the uh, realistic nature of what i i 'm using in a technology, and there's nothing that i 'm using in think Tank that 's not based on real tech um, i 've taken certain things and taken some liberties with them and combined things. Um, But uh, absolutely everything in there is absolutely 100% scientifically possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that alone sort of scares the shit out of people because they look at it as sci-fi. But I always tell people, I say, you know, what you see on TV in Afghanistan, that's 20-year-old technology. You know, these M83 Reaper drones you're seeing flying around, these big giant ones, those are old. You know, I mean, we have, uh, you know, flying insects and stuff like that now. We have remote-controlled bullets. We have things now that uh, are far more advanced and far more frightening. And uh, I think one of the things I've always recommended people to do is there are a few think tanks that will allow people to come in and just take a quick tour. You don't get to go into any of the classified areas, but uh, it's it's pretty amazing when you walk into some of these places, it's like walking into the future. Um, And, uh, you know, little things like uh, star trek you know hol- not the holiday like where you the doors will open and mm-hmm. you know the lights are automatic and uh it's sort of it's everything is sort of I, I think the thing that the government and these corporations try to do for these scientists is eliminate any sort of thing that might distract them from what they're doing mm-hmm. you know so they don't have to worry about heat control they don't have to worry about lighting they don't have to worry about food and a lot of these scientists spend months and months and months inside of these locations without ever leaving you know because they have every amenity handled and uh you know, and what the idea with these people is, every few months, every few years, they'll come up with some sort of technology that will revolutionize in the industry and change the world as we know it. And uh, I think these things, you know, all the technology we we see today is uh, is well over a decade old. I mean, I'm even talking about stuff we see in, in the uh, in the private sector. You know, where you go buy stuff at Best Buy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This stuff is all old. You know, right. and uh, it, it's weird when you think about, you know, that the iPhone five is probably based on technology that they could, have, they could have put that out before the iPhone 1, you know, so I mean, you sort of start looking at that and you start questioning the reasons and why things are done and, you know, get into the economics of it but uh, it, is, it is a little mind-boggling sometimes when I, when I think about that.
0: Right. Um, now, I had a conversation with an author uh, who wrote a nonfiction book on science, a science-based nonfiction <laughs> book and sort of his greatest challenge was making the science of it sort of relatable and interesting, because obviously it's science, um, it's not action or comedy or drama. Um, now, as a writer, how are you able to make sort of think tank relatable and interesting uh, and not letting science sort of take up too much of the experience, too much precedence?
1: I think that's the key is you want to keep it sort of uh, – you make it pivotal to the storyline and to where it's relevant to what you're doing and why, but you need to explain it in terms that anyone's going to be able to understand. You know, when I was in college, I read Isaac Asimov's Guide to Physics, and it was it was more of a layman's version explanation explanation. I learned more about physics from him than I did in all these classes I took, and uh, it's just – you know, I, I think the problem with intellectuals, and academics, and, and scientists for the most part is they sort of get—they sort of have this intellectual snobbery about them. And I know a lot of these guys, and I can talk to them on their levels. But uh, you know, when you start going off on certain things, you, you lose most people. You know, I listen to the Science Friday; it's an interesting podcast. There's also another one called Scientific American, and the Scientific American podcast is the most god-awful, boring thing on the fucking planet. You <laughs> see these guys are going on and on and on about the stuff and. I uh, I sometimes will turn it off myself, and uh, I, I think the key is to, is to keep it relatable and keep it in the real world and tell a story with it. You know, you know, the story doesn't necessarily, you know don't beat people over the head with it. I mean, Star Trek, the next generation had a lot of sci-fi science to it. A lot of it's junk science. And it's, I think that's the, the advantage of science fiction is you can sort of make it up, you know I mean? Right. If, if you want to figure something out or explain it or figure out a way for it to work in a situation, you just, you just sort of use that crutch that, uh, ah, this is the future, you know, this is how it works. You know, it's a lot, I think it's a lot harder to do stuff where you're trying to base it on real science that works today. And believe me, I've, I've agonized over it and I don't, I don't recommend that people write books like Think Tank if they don't have either an amazing desire to learn about science or have that sort of a background Mm -hmm. or just wing it. I I think the thing is, for the most part, most of the people reading this stuff have no fucking clue what's going on. It's it's for me the same thing. When I watch CSI and some of these TV shows and I realize how absurd some of the sciences that they're using, Mm -hmm. it makes me laugh. You know, the only... Of all those shows, the only one that actually uses any sort of attempt to use real science is that Bones show. And that's because of the, the woman scientist they have. It's the original novelist that wrote all those books that they base it on, and she's on set helping them do that stuff. But even if you look at that show, they don't beat it over people's heads. Right. I, mean, I, I think the key is to, make, is to not make people feel stupid, you know? I mean, because most people don't know this stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you can can explain it, and most science is very relatable in human terms, you know. I mean, and I I think that everyone understands the basic idea of uh, of being caught in a complicated situation. You want to do this, but you want to do that. They conflict. You know, I I realized the other day, I got divorced three years ago, and I realized toward the end of my marriage that I wanted to be married, but I didn't want to be married. And (laughs) I was doing things to influence both of those things at the same time. And uh, in that, I believe, makes sort of a complicated character that makes interesting decisions. Uh, And you sort of set that environment up where you've got a guy who who loves to create, who loves this science, this think tank stuff. He has access to the most amazing technology. He can make fun of scientists on his level. You know, he in an unparalleled environment to do what it is that he wants to do. What he's doing is creating technology that kills people. And he has some sort of a philosophical quandary with that. You know, he started doing it when he was 14. He's now 28. He's been doing it for a while. Um, And uh, he's starting to realize the impact of it. He's had some, you know, on some field tests. He's observed some drone incidents, and he sees the, uh, you know, the end result. And I think that's sort of what is – I think the reality of a lot of these things is people never make – big decisions, I think, based on a whim. I mean, I, I think sometimes they do, but it, it's more about a series of events and, and things that happen to you over a period of time that ultimately lead you to do something. And, uh, you know, it's like whatever it is, the camel that breaks, or the straw that breaks the camel's back, or at that point that leads you to burn, to blow your top. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of truth in that where people will put up with a lot of things. And for our my character here, I just wanted to make him a guy who's, Doing what he loves, but he realizes that what he loves uh the end result is is not the greatest thing, and it's taken him a while to come to that realization and uh, and so he's having these sort of complicated fights in his own head and I think that to me is is, is probably the more interesting thing because you see you see people fighting with each other all the time, you know, and you see sort of the basic man versus man or man versus nature, you know right. but he, he you very much less often see sort of in what I for some self-star arcs, you know, and you've got a guy fighting himself and people tack these onto stories all the time, but that's the core of what this story is really about. Even though it's really him sort of trying to escape this military influence and do these things, it's really him fighting with himself over his own destiny.
0: Right. Right. Now, speaking of science, um you have a background in physics you have a you studied physics at ucla and you have yeah. sort of an interesting story about how you got into the industry because again you studied physics you're not you were not a lifelong comic book fan per se um maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit how you got your start in the the comic book industry because I, I thought it was really interesting well I, you know you we
1: were talking about fourth the car i i think i was Uh, You know, working at a bank, I I was doing work that I didn't enjoy. And, um, you know, one day I I ran into this guy, Rob Liefeld. My nephew asked me to take him to this comic book store signing, and I went with him. I was not a comic fan, and I met Rob Liefeld and a bunch of the Extreme Studios guys back in late 92, early 93. Um, And uh, I waited in a three-hour line um, and (laughs) talked to some of these guys and their excitement, and then when I got up to the thing, Here were these six or seven guys all wearing black leather Extreme Studios jackets. They looked like they were having the time of their lives. I was working a miserable job that I hated. I didn't like the people I was working with. And a lot of the guys I was working with at the bank were older guys who had been there for 30, 40 years. And I just did not want to be set in that trap. Um, And uh, so I just, you know, and the guy right in front of me was uh, John Seval, who's now an anchor and an artist in the comic book industry. And, And he got hired on the spot showing Rob his portfolio. And it was just a weird uh, event because because I saw this guy get hired on the spot. I just asked him, I said, hey, are you looking for anybody else? He said, yeah, you know, we need so many new letters pages, this, that, and the other thing. you ever done that? you ever written a press release? And, you know, I lied to him. I said, yeah, of course I've written press releases. And uh, I remember the next day uh, I went and bought a book on how to, how to write a press release. <laughs> I, I sort of faked a press release and faxed it over to Rob. I came over to his office a few days later. Uh, I met with Eric Stevenson, who had just been working for Rob for a couple of weeks, and uh, – I started there the following week and uh you yeah, know in the industry for 20 years now. <laughs>
0: um, I, I've, I think that that's a, a great story. Um but I I wanted to say um you you sort of uh kind of came to the, at the industry from a, a different angle which I think is great. But it was sort of the wild west back then. It would be very difficult I think to do that now. And you had mentioned something to me which I thought uh was was sort of poignant that you as president CEO, you know, a boss over at Top Cow would not tolerate a lot of the stuff that you guys did back in the day. Um, because I, I think that there's a perception amongst aspiring comic book creators that it's, it's all fun and games, that it's, hey, I love comics. I think it'd be great to have a job. But it really is a business. It, it's a lot of hard work. Um, are, are there any sort of... of things that you would say to aspiring, again, comic book writers, creators um, about well, it, that, probably, the misconceptions.
1: Yeah, I, I think the one thing, and it, it's actually, becoming a comic book writer is very hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually think it's easier to become a television writer than it is to become a comic book writer, which might seem weird because I've actually done both. Um, but the thing is, with becoming a comic writer, there's only so many books that are published. And you have a lot of these same guys writing these comics that have been writing for 30 or 40 years. You know, the Kurt BCX and some of these guys, the yeah. Peter David. You still see these guys writing books or writing books in the 80s. You know, and although there's a lot of new, new writers out there, and I think writers are sort of driving more of the uh, superstar mentality of today with the Mark Millers and the Robert Kirkmans. You know, if you look at the superstar artists of, of today, they're the same superstar artists of 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of new ones. There's not a lot of new ones. The mm-hmm. superstars, the new superstars are all writers. So how do you become a writer in comics? You know, let me, let me just I'll touch briefly on the art part. Cause that's the easiest part. I mean, right. It's very simple to look at somebody's art and tell whether they're any good or not. You know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. you, you, you learn your craft. You go to school. There's there's a plenty of education and, and books and things on how to do this. And you can use a website, use social media to showcase your artwork and and use DeviantArt, and uh, people will find you. I mean, the last two or three guys we've hired, we all we found on DeviantArt. We went to look for them. You know, people submit portfolios to us all the time. But usually, finding an artist comes down to, okay, we need a guy for this. You know, and then we're like, you know, we don't keep stacks of portfolios laying around. It's like, oh, okay, let's go look online. Then we go look online, we'll go look on DeviantArt, we'll email some of our artists and ask them if they know anybody that's available. And uh, that's usually how artists are found. Mm-hmm. Um, on the writing front, the, uh, here, here's what I tell a lot of writers there's really only two ways in. And, uh, and, and people aren't going to like to hear this, but I personally do not know of anyone ever. Now, I'm sure there are cases, but I don't personally know of anyone that's ever been hired off of a submission, right. a writing submission or a sample. I, I don't know of anyone, and I know a lot of people in this business, the small business,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know. So having said that, people are banging out and sending in submissions to comic book publishers all the time. I personally believe that's a waste of time. Right. Um, the, the ways that you can actually break into comics specifically is, one, get a job any which way, any which how as for a publisher – that means, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to say being a janitor, but you, you could be an assistant. You could be uh, an a HR person. You know, you could be a backup bookkeeper. I mean, you could do any one of these things into these companies. You could intern. I mean, the best thing I would suggest to people is uh, be a free intern. I mean, a lot of people that have come to work at Top Cow, including people that have been editors, including Renee Gerlings, including Brian Roundtree and some of the other people that work for me now, or have in the past, were all interns. They basically volunteered to come work for free. And, uh, you know, if you could prove yourself and you're already there and you're in the door and you've got some sort of wherewithal, your chances are far higher. If you can get a job with a publisher doing anything, uh, then you're in their face and they know you. And, uh, you know, if at that point you're pitching ideas, because I've talked to some of my guys about writing comics, and although we don't have a tremendous amount of opportunity because of the small book line that we do, Uh, You know, my former editor-in-chief, Philip Sadlick, I worked with him to help publish his first work, you know. And uh, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where, particularly if you like the person, you work with them on a daily basis, you're more inclined to help them. Sure. Uh, And and see, this is the other thing I tell people all the time is there's a reason, part of the reason why I write comics for Top Cow is not necessarily that I want to. It's because uh, I can and because I'm the cheapest guy I know and because I know for a fact that I can do just as good a job as this. Right? and that this other guy's not going to increase my sales at all. There's only a handful of writers that I know of that I can put them on a book where they'll increase sales, and most of these guys I can't get. Right. So if, if, I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to write something myself or hand it off to someone else, it's either somebody I know you know, or, or, or those kind of things. And so a lot of it is personal relationships. Um, the, uh, the second way I know to get into comic book writing is to basically what I call buy your way in, and that's uh, self-publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are cheaper ways to do it now than ever, but, um, you know, I mean, I think whether it's digital publishing, web publishing, or whatever we're calling digital comics these days, you can put up material, you can write, you can write fan fiction, the machinima type stuff. There's there's a million ways you can sort of get your stuff out there. You know, I look at guys like Raven Gregory, you know, or some of these guys who are pretty much regular comic book writers. I, you know, I'm not arguing whether or not they're any good. I'm just saying he's a regular comic book writer now, and yeah. uh, he basically... Self-published his book and uh, spent money doing it, and uh, you know and he had to hire artists to work with him and help him do that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's uh, you, know, you know, I don't think you need a ton of money either. I mean, you could probably find a, an upcoming artist on DeviantArt, email them and say, hey, why don't we create this project ourselves? It'll showcase my writing. It'll showcase your art because. Here's the greatest thing about it. if people just send me a a verbose like writing or uh, submission like it's a script or whatever it is, I got to be honest. Unless it's like part of this talent hunt where I'm specifically carving out time, where in the first two weeks of January I'm going to sit down and read all these things, I'm just not going to read it. You know, right. and it, it, I, I, there's so many legal concerns. and part of the reason why we crafted the talent hunt the way we did is because normally people don't – most companies don't take unsolicited writing submissions. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, for a lot of reasons, people think you rip off their ideas. I mean, there's this, there's this crazy thing. I mean, it happens so often that it's annoying that uh, people have the same ideas all the time, and they think that other people are ripping each other off. But it's really not the case because for whatever reason, whatever TV show that everybody saw the year prior that inspired some line of thinking or whatever else is in the public zeitgeist or, you know, for a variety of factors, every, these two guys read the same article and it gave them the same idea – you know, people pitch, people tend to pitch the same kind of ideas at the same time, you know, it's part of the reason why I use science journals, because I know that most people can't read them, <laughs> and I can go in and get my ideas from those, you know, I mean, that's what I did for Think Tank, and that's what I'm doing for Cyberforce,
2: Right. you know, right. I'm
1: using sort of some of these, you know, I mean, Force is, is based on biometics, you know, I mean, that's a lot of what it is, and, you know, that's a field that most people don't even know what it is. Right. So I'm able to go and use that without too much concern about having, you know, Mark Wade writing something very similar. Right, right. So, but those to me are the two. If you want to be a comic writer, write. You know, I mean, write stuff, write books, find artists that'll help you. Uh, the problem is getting your scripts read is difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's as difficult as breaking into the feature film writing business, but it is. Uh, it is not easy. You know, I mean, uh, and the other thing I would like tell people is you got to understand when people are reading samples, submissions, comics, whatever it is, people send them, the best thing someone can give me to show me their work is an actual comic book, and a printed one is even better. You know, and if they give me a printed book or a PDF and I'm looking at it and reading it, I can usually tell pretty quickly whether this guy knows what, the this girl knows what they're doing, you know, right. and uh, and here's the thing is when you – it's submitted to a lot, and you have a lot of people that are you know wanting to do this kind of a work. Um, as a gatekeeper to this kind of work, the one thing you're always looking at, and people don't think about it this way, but I'm always looking for a reason to say no, exactly. not a reason to say yes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always looking for... Okay, why is this not going to work? Why is this shit? Oh, this guy misspelled, you know, totally And the first paragraph, done. I'm not reading anymore. You know, I mean, you're always looking for a reason to not keep reading it because hey, at the end of the day, I've got my regular job. I've got all this stuff going on. I've got other things I'd rather be doing. I don't really want to be reading sample scripts from, artists, from writers. Right. You know? So if I finally do sit down and read one, it better fucking captivate me. And, you know, something as simple as grammatical with, you know, with word check and things like this, if you spell words wrong and some of these things, you're just an idiot. You know, because like I said, for that exact reason that I'm looking for a reason to say no. Right. You know? And that's why brevity is, is, is perfect. And I always tell people, if you're going to pitch a synopsis of a story idea, keep it short. No one wants to read your 500-page treatise, you know? I want right. to read a two- or three-page synopsis of what the story idea is and uh, see if I like it. And then if at that point I like it, I want to see if you can actually dialogue and put together you know, some relevant story beats, some twists and turns, and if what you have to say is interesting.
0: Right, right. Now, speaking of breaking in, uh, I found a third way to break in, and it's something that you guys are doing, which I think is really, really awesome, because we get emails from aspiring comic writers all the time asking, hey, where can I submit? Who's reading? Who will look at my stuff? Can I go to conventions and hand my specs out? And it's really kind of depressing not to be able to give them really any other options other than yeah you just create your own create your own book and submit it to image or dark horse or you know cross your fingers and pray or something I don't know uh so you are actually having a top cow talent hunt, and it's not just for artists because artists do have more there are more openings for artists um it's easier to to like you said to judge art just flipping through a couple of pages you can see if they know their stuff or not um so. Yes. Um, the Top Cow t- Talent Search, which is open to writers, which I think is really great, um, because they have such a hard time finding opportunities. Now, my I guess my initial question is, how did you come up with this talent search, and uh, why did you decide to do this and, and make it open to writers?
1: Well, we've done a number of talent searches over the years, we've all been specifically for artists. Um, this year, I you know Mark and I were talking about a year ago, and uh, he and I were both relating about how ultimately we got into this business, and, you know, ultimately Mark, you know, was given a chance by someone, and I, he told me who it was, and it's some old editor at DC, I don't remember who it was, but, uh, you know, and Rob Lightfeld gave me my chance, So whether people like Rob Liefeld or not is irrelevant, uh, he was the guy that gave me my first chance in this business, and he's the reason why I'm doing now what I'm doing, and uh, so at some point, someone... <laughs> This gives you a chance. Mm-hmm. And for, for us, we have a small line of books. We're doing an ongoing Witchblade Darkness and Artifacts book, and we do a few peripheral storylines, usually those are the ones that either Mark or I are developing on our own. Um, but uh, in, in our top unquote, universe, there are 13 artifact bearers. Now, the big ones, Witchblade Darkness, Maglena, Aphrodite, and some of these things that were on Mars, we specifically know what we're doing. We have sort of a three-year plan that we're about the first year into, and, uh, but one thing we realized um, when we were laying this out was there's these other seven artifact that we're really not doing much with. Mm-hmm. And uh, since, since you did this reboot, in effect, we restarted our universe basically to give people a, a point where they can jump in without having to read 15 years of continuity. Right. Anything uh, we'd done with those artifact bears in the prior universe was no longer really applicable to what we were doing story wise currently. So the thought was, you know what, why not? do something where we can, we can find one or a you know, couple unpublished authors, um, uh, give them a chance. And, uh, my thought was worst case scenario. I can sit and, and basically rewrite, you know, if it, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to find some people that are good and the worst case scenario, I, I will heavily edit whoever it is and put out something that's possible. But the, the goal of it was to try to find, there's so many people who want to be in this business that I think are probably have something to say. They've got a good voice, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I I would love to be party to bringing them to this business. And then 10, 15, 20 years from now, talking to someone saying, hey, you know, this guy's a top guy, Mark Svestri and Matt Hawkins. You know, without them, I wouldn't be doing this. I think that's kind of cool, you know. And uh, we thought about that, and and it would be easier for me just to write, honestly, just to write these things myself or to have Ron Mars or Josh Vyalkov or any one of the guys who on a regular basis write these things. I mean, the idea is we're going to pay guys to write these properties. The reason we, we crafted it sort of the way we did is because creator ownership and work made for hire and these various legal issues are a pain in the ass. I'm not a lawyer. I don't really have to deal with that. I don't want people thinking we're either A, ripping them off or B, stealing something from them. Mm-hmm. So we, we sort of draft it to where you write these already existing company-owned characters. You do, you bring a take to it. If we like your take, we will work with you to publish either a one-shot or a mini series that's a spin off for that specific effect So Since it's not really affecting what we're doing in a larger universe, we can kind of, it's sort of a clean slate, you know? And uh, I like these characters, and we sort of are pretty focused on what we're doing in terms of Witchblade Darkness and, and those characters that are more heavily involved in that. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that some guys have some, some gals have some cool takes that uh, uh, that we like. You know, the interesting thing is to say is I've, I, I traditionally always think of comic book writers as being guys, but mm-hmm. I've been surprised at how many women have uh, reached out to us on this talent hunt. And, uh, you know, I always see in the print, you know, on these websites about the number of women or the number of minorities writing comics and these various things. And, you know, it's, it's not something we actually consciously think about when we're hiring people. It's usually uh, who, who's the best person for this job, who we already worked with, who do we know that can deliver on time. But uh, I'm actually excited. I, I think there's a very good chance that we can get a, uh, a woman to win one of these slots and, uh, and get hopefully some sort of new voice for a new generation. I, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I'm being too grandiose, but uh, you never know. You know, I mean, I, it's just, if we can give somebody a shot and in doing this over the last few months, cause I wrote sort of the outline for the talent hunt in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last month, month and a half, I've kind of been so I don't know, I don't want to sound weird, but touched is the right word. Touched by the outpouring of uh, appreciation from these people, particularly the writers who appreciate the fact that we're doing this at all. Absolutely. So I went and sat down with Sylvester and we talked about, the fact that you know, if we're talking about one or two books a year, it's not really going to affect us that much. You know, why don't we make it an annual event? Because the other thing I realized is there's a lot of people that don't know these characters. And that's the reason, by the way, we made the uh, window so long. It Mm -hmm. starts in September, it ends at the end of December. Right, uh, and because I knew there were plenty of people that wouldn't be aware of who these characters are, and they would need to do some research. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, and then I realized secondarily, once we sort of start talking about the fact that hey, we'll make this an annual event, it's for these people to do all this research. Um, you know, they can always resubmit. There's a few things to consider. Is there's, there's no limit to the number. If you want to submit a, a, a synopsis and story idea for all seven of the artifact bearers, you can. I mean, I, like I said, I specifically carved out my first two weeks of January to sit down and read all these things. The one thing I would encourage a lot of these writers to do, because we're already starting to uh, see some of these submissions is I'm not going to read them now. I'm just mm-hmm. putting them in a folder and uh, I'm not reading these things until January. Cause I just don't have time to do it over the next two or three months. So, you know, I would encourage people to not submit now to sit on them and to improve them over time. Because uh, I don't know about other people's writing, you know, the way they write or how they own their process. But for me, I rewrite a lot, right? You know, I typically will write a very quick first draft, which is, and, uh, then I will sit on it for a day and then I will go back in and do a, a heavy edit rewrite. Uh, but I'll do two or three of them over the course of uh, a time period, depending on how much time I have, what the deadline is to try to make it better. And by the time you see the final draft, it's lettered. I would bet that 15, maybe 20% of the original dialogue is used. That's it. Right. You know, and that's, to me, it's like, I, you know, we're getting we're getting people sending in stuff now, and I I don't really understand why, because I kind of made that clear in and through the documents that, uh, you know, it ends at the end of December. And so I would encourage people to take their time, work out the stories, and figure out what they think is the best. And uh, I've made myself available to people through Twitter, through Facebook, through various places where they can reach out to me and ask questions, and I try to answer them as best I can. But, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, we're just looking for some good ideas.
0: Right. No, then I, again, I, I think it's fantastic because uh, it, it's so hard for uh, aspiring comic writers to break into the industry that this is just really a huge opportunity that every aspiring comic book writer should take advantage of because they don't come along often. Um, well, I guess annually now with uh, your top talent uh, hunt, but uh, it's not there. There aren't very many open avenues So that when okay. one opens like this, it's such a great opportunity that people should take advantage of it for sure. Um, Now, writers submitting for the Top Cow Talent Hunt uh, need to send you two things, Uh, a synopsis, which you had already mentioned should be uh, succinct, you know, obviously two pages, three pages, something like that, not a paragraph and not 27 pages, Um, and an eight-page script. Uh, Now, you include a sample script written by Ron Mars for the artists to draw their submissions. Um, For writers, do you recommend that they use that script as a template? Because I know comic scripts come in so many sort of different formats – uh, there's no real kind of uh, locked-in format like screenplays. Um, or are you pretty well, lenient in terms of the writer-submission script style? I mean, does, does Top Cow have a format?
1: Um, no. Uh, most of the most of the scripts we receive from outside people uh, mm-hmm. are full scripts, and they look more like, like film or television scripts where all the dialogue and everything is there. That's not how I write. Um, mm-hmm. But here's the thing, and this is where it's going to sound uh, like double uh, standard, is... Um, you can't really write sort of the old Marvel plot style like I do, where you sure. write the plot, and the artist draws the plot, and then, then you write the dialogue. The problem with that is I can't evaluate whether or not you can script if I don't have script to read.
2: Right, right. Um,
1: and you know, here's the thing. I think in the synopsis stage, I'm willing to bet we get three or 400 of these things. I'm mm-hmm. betting 30 or 40 of these are pretty good, you know? So if i, if I narrow it down to 30 or 40 and I'm looking at these and then I'm looking at the dialogue that these guys write is, uh, you know, if this guy writes a great outline, but can't script or girl can't script or, you know, wow, this girl's like Clint Tarantino, guess who I'm going to hire.
2: Right. You know? Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, um, ultimately we'd love to keep working with these people. So we're trying to find talented people. So, you know, I think, you know, it's hard to say, I, I there's so many resources online about writing and, and I look at a lot of them. and I think so many of them are wrong, but uh, mm-hmm. that's just my personal sort of opinion. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I, people need to, but we need dialogue. We need captions. We need descriptions of what's going on in the panel because there's not going to be art. So I need to know what's going on. If it's confusing at all, I would say if people are going to error one way or the other, make it a little more straightforward. You right. know, if you've got eight pages, you can't do super complicated time-bouncing shit. Right. You know? right. Um, and the, the goal of it is just to say, oh, okay, this guy can he can dialogue. He can have some characters that talk to each other. He can use, she can use this narrative that makes this thing work. You know, they can do this. They can do that. Um, and it's, honestly, it's more of a just a general, you know, I'm going to look at these as sort of my editorial eyes and say, okay, I can work with this guy or I can't work with this girl, mm-hmm. you know, or, or whatever it is. And so the last thing I would say on that is people be civil. Jesus Christ. I mean, I, you, you'd be surprised at how – unprofessional some of these people are that are talking to me through some of these social media outlets that, uh, you know, I just would, you know, look, we're a small company. Right. I, I have only so much time. I don't really want to work with you if you're an asshole. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me how many people can't grasp that situation. And I've had people saying, you know, Oh, I'm so great. And I, being confident and being arrogant is fine, but I don't, I don't care if you're arrogant. Or confident. I just want to read your script and see if it's good or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at it like it is basically a job interview. uh, And would you go into a job interview making all kinds of demands, being sort of a a D-bag? You're not going to get hired. I mean, it's it's sort of common sense, you would think.
1: But you would think, but it's not the case. I mean, I have a good friend who runs a video game developer out of Chicago who hires a lot of people. And -hmm. he tells me all the time he just kicks people off of because they come in making asinine demands. 23, 23 24-year-old people coming in saying, hey, I don't work Friday afternoons. Shit like that, and he just kind of laughs, and he just bounces them right out, wow. and you know, and they always look kind of like uh, like somebody hit him in the face, and I think it's that that gets into more of a societal issue in the U.S. with sort of these entitled fuckers that are coming up in their early twenties right now, but uh, that's that's a separate discussion,
0: right? Right. Um, plus, I think the internet sort of uh, people are so sort of used to trolling on the internet and doing saying things they would never say in real life that it sort of takes it to this level, which is just ridiculous because this is sort of an online job interview. I mean, it really is. And yeah. and I, I, I just don't know if people can yeah. separate those two.
1: Well, it's just, people need to understand that them telling me that either a I don't like these characters or b I don't think the rules are stupid, probably not the wisest thing to say to me.
0: No. Not at all. Well, if you don't like the <laughs> rules or don't like the characters, don't submit.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I said. I'm like, you know, I just laugh because there's I mean, one guy... I responded to it and I basically said to him, I said, basically, you just said, fuck you, hire me. What? And guess what? No, no. I, basically, the conversation I had with this guy over the course of a few days, I, I summarized it and said, basically, you came to me and said, fuck you, hire me. And guess what? I don't, life's too short. I'm not going to hire you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the worst way to get hired, I would think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but you'd be surprised at just how stupid some of these people are. I mean, it just blows my mind. I no, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but the point being is, people just be civil, be professional. You know, I mean, it, it's not that much to ask.
0: Sure, absolutely. And again, look at it like a job interview. What would you do in a job interview? Would you talk back and trash your your employer's your your potential employer's company and and their products and and their rules and regulations of of, of- if you want a job there, I mean, you wouldn't do that. It doesn't make any sense. So,
1: um, it's, it's hard though. Cause you get a lot of opinionated call book geeks who think they're, you know, think they're right. And this is one of those few businesses where there are the only people that say, Hey, I can do a better job than that. And they can, you know, and so on some level I, I, I get it. I just, uh, my thing is prove it. Don't, don't, don't say it, do it, you know, prove it. Don't, don't be an asshole for no reason. And most, of, what I found is most of the people that mouth off are, are shit anyway, you know? Right. You know, I've, I've, I've seen artists that mouth off about how great they are, then I look at their work, how much to laugh in their face. Then I have to bite my tongue to be civil from my end because i ultimately, I'm not looking to piss anybody off. Ultimately, I need these people to buy our books. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Well.
0: And at least one of you is civil, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, let well, I try. It doesn't always work, by the way. I'm sometimes occasionally not civil, but uh, <laughs> my, my, my incivility or uncivility, depending on how you phrase that, is it becomes, it's generally generated in a reaction of someone else's. So
0: Sure. Um, now, just to sort of clarify, is that Ron Mars sample script for artists? Would that work for writers, too? I mean, yeah. is that a good template to use?
1: Yeah, you can use a template. I think there are a lot of resources online. There's, I think it's a website. It's complexscripts.com. I can't remember what exactly. If you Google Callbook scripts, there's plenty of scripts online. And I, I would say find a writer that you have respect for. You know, whether it's Alan Moore, Mark Wade, sure. you know Neil Gaiman, one of these guys that clearly is a titan in the field. Right. Look at how they do it and, and emulate the format. You yeah, know? and I mean, if, that's...
0: If, if listeners go to our website, scriptsandscribes.com, and under the resources tab. Uh, we'll, we have lists of of places you can find good comic book scripts. Uh, I just wanted to clarify with you if you guys had a specific Top Cow template that you guys use uh, for all your writers, or if, if as long as it's a good solid comic book script, not Marvel plot style, but a solid, good solid detailed comic book script from any artist or any writer, excuse me, if that would suffice. So, and I think you answered that
1: yeah. question. Yeah, we we do not have a, a standardized format no. cool. Um, now.
0: Cool. Uh, now, talking about the and and i've he- I've heard you talk about the answer to this, but for other listeners who may not have heard now there are the, the seven uh top cow characters the you know the uh that you have listed on the submission guidelines tom judge Floriana silver uh, sabine you know et cetera et cetera um you're not accepting any submissions with the new original characters, but what is your restriction on including villains or other ancillary sort of non principal characters, like, you know, a mailman or a cop or a waitress or something like that, just so writers know what isn't 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 within bounds and what's out of bounds for them?
1: I think any unnamed, you know, character that is sort of a, uh, like a clerk or a mailman, or there's really no name, it's sort of a reusable or throwaway character, all okay. those characters, are uh, usable. Um, I don't know that I would make them too pivotal to a script
2: sure. point,
1: but the, uh, there are, uh, I think, 80 or 90 villains alone in the 160-plus issues of Witchblade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take, and only, I think, one or two of those has been used uh, since the Rebirth. But, uh, you know, you can take any of those characters that exist and sort of tweak them and use them for whatever from any of the titles. You can use any of those from the greater Top Cow universe. The point of our saying that we can't, you um, can't use, is we don't want people to use these other artifact bears because we already know what we're doing with them. Sure. And, uh, and people are asking me, you know, okay, can I use Lady Pendragon or can I use the Pit? I'm like, those aren't. Characters in our universe. You right. know? So, if say do the research for you, questions like that. Because when you ask questions like that, it's making you realize you don't know what you're talking about. Right. So, um, yeah. So, you know, and I'd say I, I find one of these old villains from Darkness or Witchblade or wherever, and mm-hmm. uh, and use them, or you know. And you want to use? A, it, it certainly, you can use a bunch of ninjas and have one guy controlling them. That's actually one lone character. Just, just so you understand. The primary reason why we don't want people creating villains or creating original characters that are of value in these storylines is for legal reasons. I mean, right. we when we when we have these submissions forms, they're very clear. And I, I couldn't be more blunt with it. If you read the top of it, it says, "My lawyer and I worked on this. It, it Said, be be clear, you are signing away certain rights by doing this." And uh, the last thing I want is somebody that doesn't understand what he's signing or she's signing signing something and four years later saying, oh, you ripped me off. And uh, so that's the point. You know, since we're trying to do, in my mind, a good thing, sure. we don't want to run into that sort of issue down the line. And it's just easier for us to say you can use these toys that we've already created and craft a story around those. And uh, you understand in advance it's work made for hire. You also understand that uh, – uh, you're being paid for this work. So it's not like it's a free work. I mean, we're going to be paying people probably on the lower end of the professional spectrum, but they will be paid for this work. And uh, so it's not like it's just, it's just free work. And uh, so the primary reason for that is, is legal. I mean, I, I don't know I mean, I, it would be, there'd be nothing better for me as a, as a publisher and as a business, you know, owner to have people come in and create shit that we own. But the point is, is I, I, we do that with a lot of guys and there's, writers and artists that we work with that do that for us all the time. But a lot of these guys are established guys. We've known them for a long time. We have long working relationships with them, and they know what they're getting into. And and if you know what you're getting into and you do it, that's your choice. What I don't want is someone that doesn't really truly understand what they're doing because even though we make it very clear that, hey, you should talk to an attorney, yes, you should have someone review this, yes, you should read it, Uh, There's plenty of people I know that they're not going to read it. I mean, it's because they're lazy or whatever. I mean, that that South Park iTunes thing makes fun of that whole episode, you know, where people just sign things and don't really pay attention to what they're signing. So we're trying to make it easy. You know, these are company-owned, pre-existing characters. You're doing a take on it. The point is just to see if you can write. Absolutely. You know, and and is it easy to do it this way? No, but, you know, I'm not going to make it too easy for everyone.
2: Right, you know, right. I'm
1: not. I'm not looking to hand somebody. You know. You know. I want somebody to actually have to work for it.
0: Well, plus I think you have to take into consideration not you, but listeners, uh, aspiring comic book writers. That is it easy to have all these specific rules. No, but you have to realize if you've done this for long enough, trying to you know find a way in. This is infinitely more easy than. Uh, hey, I'm going to create my own book. Now I have to find an artist on DeviantArt that will draw my book, and then I have to find places to submit it to. I mean, this is infinitely more easy. Take advantage of this opportunity. It's 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 great, and they should be thankful for it, I mean, in all honesty. It's not that strict. You just have seven characters, and uh, you'd sign a release form, which is pretty standard in terms of submissions of almost any kind of unsolicited submissions you have to sign, whether it's a screenplay or you know whatever it happens to be. You're going to have to sign on these forms. I mean, it's pretty industry standard once you've started submitting things, so...
1: And I've told people the easiest thing you could do is to pick two of these, make one the villain and one the hero. You know I mean? I'm not saying these characters have to be heroes. Sure. You know I mean, I, I, I'm fine with that. In the situation of your story, if this, this artifact bear is the villain, if this one's the hero, you know, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Right. Um, you can go through the pantheon of the top guy universe if you want, but, um, you know, like I said, you can have to dig through Unless you're a, already a Witchblade fan, you're talking about a lot of research. And right. Expensive research. Expensive research. So, um, there's, like, there's a, a bunch of different ways to do it
0: mm-hmm. now you're answering submitter questions on your twitter at topcowmat are there sort of yeah. any answers to questions or questions that have been repeated or especially useful questions that you've answered already that you feel might be list, uh, useful to listeners so you don't have to answer it again a hundred times or that might be especially helpful
1: um I mean, some of these we've already touched base in about sure, using sure. the uh, characters or no original characters and using you know Mailman X or whatever it is. Uh, on the art front, people are asking because the sample script we put up does include Witchblade and Darkness in it. But the point is, look, I'm not stupid. Of course, we're <laughs> actually you know the the limited not Witchblade, not Darkness for the for the writers. You know what I mean? The, right. Uh, the sample script if we're putting up a sample script and it's eight or nine pages. We're expecting you to draw those characters. It's it, like I said, we're not what you're drawing is not what we're going to publish. It's just to see if you can draw or not. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just, my encouragement, like I talked about earlier, though i just tell people to take your time. I mean, there's no hurry. Do your right. research, you know. I, I think uh, Artifacts 19 to 21 is a really good art that Ron Mars wrote. It was a three-parter that introduced one of the artifact bearers, uh, this girl, Rachel Harrison, who's a doctor who has the Hearthstone. Um uh, that mini arc inside of that running book I think is, is a great example of how to reintroduce one of these artifact bearers post rebirth in terms of what we're doing now. And I, I sort of on social media I sort of related that that the, if you want to just read a book on kind of a template on how we like these things done, that's probably the best one I could offer. And that's Artifacts twenty one I think came out a week or two ago and so it's the last three issues of that book. They're all available online. You know, you can buy it. I mean, they're two bucks a piece, something like that digitally. It's not that expensive.
0: Is it on um, connexology?
1: Yeah, they're on Um, It's Artifacts 19. to read the first 18 to read that either because uh, it's sort of a standalone story. So if okay. you read Artifacts 19 to 21, I think that's a good arc. Cool.
0: Um, and uh, so on a side note, are there any other writers other than your top cow guys or or, who are some of your favorite writers or writers you would like to work with just
1: oh wow um you know i think for the most part i've worked with most of the guys i wanted to work with in my career um i you know of course i I worked with alan moore back in awesome comics back in 1996 i worked with a lot of these guys that are sort of these bigger name writers i worked with mark miller i worked with robert kirkman you know i've worked with Sure. I work with a lot of big name writers. Um, I think the only guy maybe that I've not worked with that I would like to is maybe Neil Gaiman, but I just don't see that ever happening. So it's sort of a, you know, he doesn't really do comics anymore, more of a novelist and doing other things.
2: Right, right. I've always
1: been a big, big gaming fan. Um, I, here's the thing about comic writers. I mean, even some of the bigger name guys are really not all that unattainable.
0: Right, right. Um, what's coming up for Top Cow besides... Uh... Uh, the 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 talent hunt and uh, uh um, think tank continuing and things like well,
1: that. I think, think in the, the in re- we'll cyberforce. Yeah cyberforce is sort of to me the uh the biggest thing we're doing and actually what I was writing I was finalizing the script for the first issue as you called me. Uh-huh. Um, so we're working on that today. The script's gotta be locked and lettered Thursday. So um that is in the immediate. I think cyberforce is probably um interesting because we use the Kickstarter to raise the funds to give the books away for free. So the first five issues of Cyberforce are actually being uploaded for free onto the Internet, so no one actually has to pay to read those. Uh, and they're available in the comic book stores, kind of like Free Comic book Day was, where uh, the idea is for comic book stores to give them away. They may not. You know, I mean, it's entirely possible them they may sell them. But uh, I think sure. they'll be cheaper um, at most. Their retailers are paying a quarter of a piece for them or whatever it is. But I'll right. see them charging more than a dollar for the books. Well, but,
0: hopefully hopefully they don't since that's the uh, – you know, initial sort of reason to do it. Cause I did see your Kickstarter campaign, which I thought was, was awesome. I mean, give people not just one issue and not just on free comic day with a, with, a lot of them are samplers. It's not even a real comic half the time, but to give five right. issues, there's no reason for someone, even if they have to pay the quarter, whatever, there's no reason not to try it, you know, for that kind of.
1: Well, that release. was the idea. And you can get the print. I mean, you may have to pay for the printed copies, but the digital versions will be up, will be free. Um, and, um, And sort of the idea with that is uh, we've given away millions and millions of comics over the years, and I've not seen too much uh, translation into paid books. Um, You know, and even when on comiXology, we'll have the first issue of a book free of a graphic novel. I mean, I think the click-through rate of free to paid is 100 to 1, which is actually not horrible because it used to be 1,000 to 1. It's actually uh, gone down. Um, But uh, the idea with this is that if we can condition people to to reading a book over a longer period of time, and it's it's good it's good content, then uh, hopefully they'll come back for more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Give them a chance to get uh, attached to characters and into a story um, before making them not making them before you know you're asking them to pay for the content, and and it becomes sort of you know a real want like this is a great book as opposed to one little sampling. So I think uh,
1: think a lot lot of what you see in like you talk about samplers or content that's free or little mini videos or movies that are free. The one thing I can say about these, and this isn't a universal declaration, but most of these are shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, how many free videos you got to surf through before you find something worth watching, you know? And that's so so many free comic books on these digital web sort of websites that like Zuda or DrunkDuck or any of these things. That digital webbing. I mean, a lot, of, there's some good ones, there's some great ones in there, but you gotta, you gotta sort of wade through the 20 or 30 annoying ones before you get to the good ones. And uh, so, you know, in terms of free online content and what we're talking about, is we wanted to deliver something that was, you know, high quality. It was on quality of, uh, you know, what you'd expect from any of our regular full color printed, full price books. And uh, just honestly, it's more of an experiment than anything. I think mean, one thing about us is we're intentionally small. I mean, we could certainly expand. We've had plenty of opportunities to get investors and go bigger. Uh, we just have never wanted to. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's been top gal as a boutique publisher. It's really just sort of right now creatively run by sort of Mark and myself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and uh, we kind of do what we want. And uh, is what it is.
0: Um, what's the best part of your job?
1: Uh, the creative part. I hate the business part now. I used to I used to enjoy the business of other- it but uh, the business not really just annoys me anymore. Um, I enjoy sitting in the room with the writers, breaking story, talking ideas. That's really fun for me mm-hmm. and uh, the creation of it. And then watching, you know, a positive fan response, like my Think Tank book it may not be a barn burner sales wise, but it's uh, been very critically positively reviewed and uh, you know, the sales are trending upwards. So it's, it's a good feeling when you do something that people actually like, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, for me, you know, um, but dealing with the legal issues and the accounting issues and dealing with tax issues and, and various things that you deal with and, and all these things that come up as part of a daily business part of the environment, uh, they drive me fucking nuts and uh, <laughs> I, I would love to never have to do that again. I enjoy marketing too. I mean, I, I think, you know, particularly social media marketing, I, I just kind of have, I try to make it fun. Right. You know what I mean? I mean the one nice thing about us is uh, I can go on Twitter and on the top cow account and say whatever the fuck I want. Because, uh, you know, I think someone maybe working for me might not have that freedom, you know, because they'd be concerned, oh, what if, you know, what if I do something that Mark doesn't like. And, like, uh, so I'll go on and say just weird, satirical, edgy shit just to be, just to be fun. And, <laughs> yeah, people respond to that, you know. I think it, it's less of a corporate, you know, sort of, uh, you know, mundane type environment. We try to keep it a little more uh, edgy. I don't know.
0: Yeah, plus, I mean, how many uh, companies... Can you actually interact, sort of on a daily basis, with the, you know, the founders of the company, the, you know, the, the, the guys that run the company? I mean, like, can't really do that with most comic book publishers. I mean, uh, so I think yeah, that's, I mean, that's really I mean, great.
1: Well, that's, and, and fortunately for us, that's we're able to do that because we've kept it so small. Sure. You know, if I was a- a 25 book line, I wouldn't really have time to talk to anyone. You know what right. I mean? Or I would I have the time to deal with these things, but, uh, you know, we've kept the business sort of lower head intentionally. And, uh, you know, and every few years there's some movie or some video game or something that makes us some real money.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, now here's the last part of, uh, the, the, uh, podcast. It's a section we like to call rapid fire, which is just five either or type questions. Um, So if you're ready, uh, better sci-fi, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Uh, More interesting physicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson or Stephen Hawking?
1: Stephen Hawking.
0: Uh, More important invention, nuclear power or the internet? The internet. Uh, Better cow, Bessie the cow or the Chick-fil-A mascot?
1: Oh, definitely Chick-fil-A mascot. I love Chick-fil-A.
0: Uh, And better character, Hawkeye or Hawkman?
1: Uh, Hawkman. I hate bow-wielding characters that make no sense to me with guns. (laughs) Uh.
0: Very cool. Uh, Well, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Uh, You can find Matt on Twitter and and interact with him. Send him your questions about the uh, Top Cow Talent Hunt or tell him how much you love Top Cow. And find all the details about the Top Cow Talent Search on topcow.com. Uh, and please visit our website at scriptsandscribes.com for more information on all of our guests, archived podcasts, and lots of other great written interviews and information on writing. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at or send us a tweet to ScriptScribes. There's no at. It's scripts, at ScriptScribes. Thanks for listening.